It's nice to see you this morning. Last week we talked about forgiving others, and this week I want to talk about forgiving yourself. I meet people who will punish themselves for things that they've done in the past, even years later. They won't let it go, and they think somehow by doing that, it's going to make up for the error or the mistake that they made. We play this game if only. If only I would have known then what I know now. If only I could erase the past. If only I could start over. If only I would have listened sooner. And people do this and they don't forgive themselves. The truth is everybody has regrets. There's not a person in this room that doesn't have regrets. We have things that we feel guilty about, things that we regret, or things that we feel ashamed of. We all have things like that in our life that we wish we could go back and correct it, but you can't. There's nothing that you can do. We've all fumbled. We've all stumbled. We've all said foolish things. We've all hurt somebody, and we feel guilty about it. We've done things that hurt ourselves that we feel guilty about. We've violated what we believe. We've violated things that we've stood for. And this brings a lot of guilt, a lot of regret into our lives. In Psalms 32, verse 1, it says, Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. That word blessed, it literally means happy. It's saying happy is a person that's been forgiven. That's been forgiven. Why would the Bible say this? Because God wants you to get your happiness back. God wants you to feel happy again. Can I feel happy if I, while I'm carrying shame about something that I did? Can I feel happy if I'm hanging on to something that I regret? How about if I'm carrying some sort of guilt? Can I feel happy? No. You can't feel happy when you're feeling these type of things. But it's God's desire for you to get your happiness back. And it can only happen when you feel forgiven, when you accept God's forgiveness. When you understand, hey, I'm forgiven. I can move forward. Today, I want to talk about regret. I want to look at three things. I want to look at what we usually do with our regrets, what we should do, and what God wants to do with your regrets. So let's first look at uh, what we normally do. What we usually try to do is bury them. You can fill that in. Have you heard the phrase, you've got to bury the past? The problem with that is you can't. It does not work. You can't bury the past. It's not like you bury it and it doesn't exist anymore. It's nonsense. And in fact, when I try to bury it or when I try to hide the past, somehow, someway, something happens where it comes out at the worst time. Now, there's things that you can do to neutralize the sting of the past so it doesn't sting so much. But you can't bury it. You can't hide it. What hiding does is it puts you in the constant fear that somehow, someway, someone is going to find out. Somehow, someway, it's going to come in the open. That's a horrible way to live with a constant fear about the things I'm ashamed of. In Psalms 19, too, it says, No one can see his own errors. Deliver me, Lord, from secret faults. We all have blind spots. We all have faults. We all have errors in our life. In this verse, it's talking about God help me 
with a false I don't even recognize. But what's worse is the secret faults that we have that we do recognize, that we're keeping it as a secret, because I don't want anybody to know. And we are acting like it doesn't exist. We're acting like this thing in my past never happened, because we're trying to bury it. We're not dealing with it. We're not actually dealing with the, the issue that we're bringing about healing. We're just hiding it. So it's still there. It's on our mind. It's always on the back of our mind. Here's how we try to bury things. We try to minimize them. It's no big deal. You know, we try to say like, ah, uh, you know, it's not, it wasn't that bad. Well, then why do you still remember it? Because there's tons and tons of things in your life that you would never remember anymore. You know why? Because they weren't that bad. But the, the fact that you're remembering it means that you have a problem with it. You're carrying on to that shame or that regret or that guilt, and it needs to be dealt with. Or we rationalize it. Lots of people do it. You know, people do, you know, we're rationalizing it. But it doesn't really matter if, let's say that everybody did it. If you're feeling guilty about it, it's still a problem for you. The whole fact that it's bothering you. So instead of us dealing with it, we try to say something like everybody does it to try to make us feel okay about it, which means I don't deal with it. I'm not really seeking forgiveness to let it go. And it hangs in there. But in our mind, we're trying to, you know, justify things to, so it's easier for me to cope with. Or we compromise. It's something that I feel is wrong, but to help me deal with it, I lower my standards. So it doesn't feel that wrong. It's like the fortune cookie that says, commit a sin twice and it will not seem a sin to you. <laughs> First time you do something, it feels bad. Second time you do it, it's easier. The third time it's easier than that. Before long, you've compromised so much, you've lowered your standards so low that your heart gets hardened and it really doesn't bother you anymore. But you know when you first did it, it was bad. But now you don't feel that way anymore. You get used to it. Look at Proverbs 28, 13. The man who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful. But if he confesses and forsakes them, he gets another chance. There's something about confessing it and then walking away from it, forsaking it. And God says, I'll give you another chance. You know, God's the God of the second chance, the third chance, the fourth chance. God's in the business of restoring you, of bringing about healing. So that's one of the things we do. The other thing that we do is... We blame others. You might bury it, but you might also blame others. This is another way that we cope with it. In Psalms 50, 20, it says, you are always ready to accuse your own brothers and to find fault with them. We're ready to do that. Do something to accuse somebody else so I don't have to take full responsibility for what I did. And if I don't take full responsibility for my actions, I'm not going to get the healing because they've never been dealt with. We all have regrets. We all have things that we've done wrong that we want to blame other people. It's, if my dad didn't treat me like this, I wouldn't have done it. If my mom didn't treat me like this, it wouldn't have happened. If my husband didn't do this, I wouldn't have done it. If my wife didn't do this, I wouldn't have done it. You know, it's my parents' fault. It's my spouse. I have my part, but I did it because you did this. You see what I'm saying? 
We're trying to do anything we can to blame somebody else so I don't have to fully be responsible for the things I regret, for the things I feel guilty about. It's to help lessen the guilt, the shame that I feel. Start at the beginning. Adam and Eve. Adam took it like a man and blamed his wife. It's this woman. She did it. She offered me this fruit. And not only did Adam blame Eve, he blamed God. It's this woman you gave me. So from the very beginning, instead of him dealing with the guilt of his own sin, he started to lessen his sin. He said, it wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for her. And it wouldn't have happened if you didn't put her here. So ultimately, God, it's not my fault. It's your fault. Or at least you're equal to blame. That's what we do. And once we do that, we never take full responsibility for the things we're doing. We never get healing. Eve was no better. She blamed the serpent. It was the serpent. He tricked me. They both were feeling guilt. They both were feeling shame about what they've done. And yet, by trying to put the blame on other people, it's to make them feel better. It's like a balance. You know, too much guilt goes that way. So what you do is you're feeling too guilty. So if you put some blame on this side, now it balances again. So now it's not really me. It's not so bad now because you're, you, you're at fault too. You know, and it's getting the tension away from me. Then I can feel better about what I did instead of facing my guilt, facing my regret, facing my shame, getting the forgiveness I need so I can move on. Because you want to move on. You don't want to keep it going. The third thing that we do is we beat ourselves up. We administer self-punishment. We make ourselves feel lousy. We condemn ourselves. There's something in us that when we do something that we feel like was bad, we want to do something to make up for it. You know, I've got to do something to make up for this. There's nothing that really makes up for it. But we desire to do something. And if there's a way for, I, for me to pay off what I've done, then somehow I'm going to be okay. Psalms 38, verses 4 through 8 says, I'm drowning in the flood of my sins. So he's, this is King David speaking. He feels like he's drowning. They are a burden too heavy to bear because I have been foolish. I'm utterly worn out and crushed. My heart is troubled. He just committed adultery is what happened there. And he's miserable. But you notice he's trying to bear the full force of a sin, which you do have to come clean 100%. But you, you take it, but you give it to God for forgiveness. As long as David hangs on to that, that's how he's going to feel. You have to come clean. I did it 100%. But then you go to God and seek forgiveness. God wants to forgive you. He's in the business of forgiving you. There's ways that we punish ourselves. Depression. Instead of me seeking God for forgiveness for whatever regret I have, I hang on to it and I'm depressed by it. But this depression is a way for me to like beat myself for the bad things I've done. So if I hang on to the depression, I mean, if I hang on to the guilt or regret, I'm depressed and I'm paying off my sin. That's not God's way. We set ourselves up for failure to pay off the things I've done. 
I don't deserve to succeed. You may have heard this one. I don't deserve to be with you because of guilt. People say things like this. The ultimate form of self-punishment is suicide. Usually it's done by young people. People. Uh, college students is the number one cause of death is suicide. High school students is number two. It's interesting because it's at those ages, usually most people go through elementary school and middle school without having a super amount of regrets. But it's usually at the high school age that you start having to face about things that would make you feel shame, regret, guilt. And it's something that they've never had to deal with it at that level before. And a lot of them, because they can't see the future, they get stuck in the moment, the pain they're feeling, and they kill themselves, high school and college students. Most of them, if they just had life experience, they would know that no matter what you're going through, hang in there for one month and it will probably turn around. Just one month can make a difference. Some things, of course, take longer than a month. But at that moment that they're in it, they don't have that perspective that we have from living longer because you've gone through those things that brought you great shame that you wanted to die. And you know what happens? It passes. You've gone through that great guilt that you just wanted to bury yourself. You know what happens? It passes. You've gone through great regrets. It passes. You understand that suicide's not the answer, but they're young. But it tells you this. It's at an early age that people start putting regrets in their life that some people are trying to pay it off for the next 20 or 30 years. And you can't. When you carry guilt for 20 or 30 years, it's going to ruin your relationships. You remember last week I talked about resentment? You're driving down the car and you're looking in the rearview mirror. You're always looking at the past about things that happened in the past that you're upset about. And then you're going to crash your future because you're not focusing in the right direction. Guilt, regret, shame, it's the same thing. You're looking at what I, I'm looking at what I've done in the past and I'm not looking in the future. I'm going to ruin my future. I'm going to crash it. It's going to come, it's going to come you know, crumbling down. Number two in your notes, what we should do. How do I get over this guilt that I'm feeling? Well, number one, admit it. You have to admit your guilt. That's a start. You're as sick as your secrets. So once you start to get it out there, that in itself is going to lessen the load. There's other people that you can share it with. I don't think that you need to admit your sins to everybody. You know, but there's certain people you need somebody in your life that you can admit it to. You obviously need to admit it to God. Look at Psalm 51 verse 3. I recognize my faults. I'm conscious of my sins. It starts there. In AA, they talk about unless a person admits that they have a problem, you can't help them. It's the same. You know those AA steps? All 12 of them are backed with Bible verses. That was started by a group of Christians. And, they were just, and it started off as a Christian group. And then later, they decided to tailor it more toward even if someone wasn't a Christian because they found people <clears throat> that were from a different background We'll go in and see that they were in a Christian meeting and they weren't Christians yet and it caused a dilemma in them because it was a struggle with them like, is it okay for me to be here? I'm not a Christian. I believe this, you know. So they took that part out. But if you look at the steps, it's still 100% Christian. Every step in there is one. There's Bible verses that back up every step. That's why it's so effective. A principle from God is going to work whether you know it's from God or not. 
You might think a group of men made it up. It doesn't matter who you think made it up. If it's a principle from God, it's going to work. That's why so many people have been helped with the 12 steps. So, like they say, you have to first admit it, that you have a problem. If I don't admit my guilt, my sin, whatever I've done, I'm not going to get better. As long as I keep it a secret, I'm not going to get better. People think, people think that they can go to God. God, forgive me. You know, I'll never do it again. And it never works. It never works. Because you, you weren't created to only go to God. There's a reason why the Bible talks about loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving your neighbor as yourself. Because what he's saying is you need God in your life and you need people in your life. And to overcome guilt, regret, shame, you need people. There's gotta, you've got to be able to pour your heart out to God about it. But you also have to have people that you can share, that you trust, who can help you. I've never seen people be successful at overcoming something, a temptation, a sin, by keeping it their little secret. The only thing they've been successful at is failure. Continue to fail in that little secret. Continue to fail in that little secret because they've never allowed people in. Would I be a mature Christian if I loved you guys as I love myself, but I didn't love God? No. Would I be a mature Christian if I loved God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, but I don't love you guys? No, you can't do one without the other. It, it's, it just wouldn't work. I need you, and I need God. So you have to admit it. You've got to get people, and you've got to get God, and you've got to start working on it. Psalms 32.5 says, I decided to confess them to you, and you forgave all my sins. That's referring to God. Isn't that great? That you can confess to God, and he'll forgive all your sins. God doesn't want to condemn you. He doesn't want to put you down. He's trying to lift you up. But it starts with me going to God and say, I'm agreeing with God. This is wrong. What I've been doing is wrong. I'm guilty. I see it now. I'm ashamed. Just admitting it. See, sometimes we think we've got to cry and weep and put on this show so God knows I'm really sincere. There might be something that really breaks your heart that much. And you cry and weep. That's, that's fine. But... There's other times that it's not so emotional, but you do know it's wrong. You agree with God, and you say to God, God, that was wrong. I agree that it's wrong. I want to live for you now. It's not about some emotional show. If you're emotional, it's going to come out that way. If you're not, it's not. But you're agreeing with God, and you're saying, I want to get on the right track. I want to follow you now. And God takes that. We only have two options, confession or condemnation. I can confess it and start getting healing, or I can keep it and feel condemned. Condemned. God doesn't want you to feel condemned. He wants you to get it out. He wants you to be able to move forward. He wants to bring healing into your life. He wants to forgive you. He wants you to lay it completely out to him and feel totally forgiven. He wants you to have the support from other people that will help you to turn the, your life around. Because you can't bargain with God. Like, God, if you forgive me, I'll never do it again. That usually doesn't work. But you can confess it to God, get the support you need, and you can have a changed future. Okay, maybe what I did was bad. Maybe what I did was bad in the past. But I have a chance to get forgiveness and make the rest of my life the best of my life. He doesn't want to ruin you. He doesn't want to condemn you. 
Look at number two in your notes. Accept God's forgiveness. Too many times we can't accept it. We hang on to that guilt. We hold on to that regret. Look at Romans 8.1. There is no condemnation for those who live in Christ Jesus. So if God doesn't condemn you, why would you condemn yourself? If there's no condemnation for those who live in Christ Jesus. That means he wants to wipe you clean. He wants to give you a new start. There's an important word in the Bible called justified. And what it means is, the literal meaning would be just as if I'd never done it. Justified. Just as if I'd never done it. Because when you're justified before God, it's saying he's forgiven you, and it's just as if I'd never done it. Did I do it? Yeah. But because of God's forgiveness, it's just as if I'd never done it. Have you ever had a friend that did you wrong, and they talked to you, and you talked to them about it, and you reached a point where you forgave them? And in the relationship, because you really forgave them, now the relationship is that it's just as if they'd never done it? Yeah. I have friends like that. I've had friends that forgive. I've done stupid things. They've forgiven me. And when I'm around them, it's just as if I've never, never done it. They've done things to me, and I forgive them. It's just as if they'd never done it. You also have friends that hold on to grudges, and you can, you know, they, they don't understand forgiveness. Sometimes you forgive people, and they can't forgive themselves. Even though you're trying to treat it as, just as if it never happened, they, they can't let go of the guilt. The thing is, if God forgives you, you're forgiven. You can enjoy life again. God wants you to enjoy life again. He doesn't want you to feel like you have to grovel, beg, and plead. He wants to give you a new start. And forgiveness is instant. See, we want that person to suffer. You did this to me, I want them to suffer. God's not like that. God wants to forgive them. He wants them to get their life together. If you have children, you totally understand. If I have a child that does something wrong, I want to do everything I can to get him on the right track. Everything I can. I want, to forg- I want him to feel forgiven. I want him to, to get his act together for his future. The last thing I want him to do is hang on to what he did in the past and ruin his future. I have a family member that was in a car accident and uh, they were at fault and a person was killed. And they actually had to go to prison for part of the time. And everything in me wanted that family member to get their life together, to not make some of the mistakes that they made. Everything in me, because I loved them. You know, I didn't want his life to be defined by that accident. You know, I didn't think it was wrong for him to go to jail. You know what I mean? I, I, I didn't disagree with any of that. But I don't want his My hope and dream was that this would get it, even if he had to stay in prison for life. My hope and dream that is that what he, the mistake he made would make him change and evaluate his life and turn his life around in a healthy, good direction. The fantastic thing is he was eventually let you know, free and everything, and he has turned his life around, and he's going in, a, in, a, in the right direction now. But, you know, but why, why did I want that for him? Because I love him. What if it was your son or daughter? If it's your son or daughter, you want to do everything you can to help them. So you understand why God wants to forgive you. Because you, you don't want your own children to be, you know, characterized by a stupid mistake they make. You want it to wake them up and get them on the right track. You want the rest of their life to be the best of their life. 
God forgives completely. In Psalm 103, verse 3, it says, As far as the east is from the west, you have removed my sins from me. That means God is saying, you know, come, I, I forgive you completely. Look at Isaiah 38, 17. You have cast all my sins behind your back. That's saying God takes it and he throws it behind him. Why? Because God doesn't want to look at it anymore. You might still remember it, but God is saying, oh, hey, that's behind us now. Let's, let's get you on a bright future. I can't change the past, but you can have a bright future. John three seventeen, uh, Jesus said, I did not come to condemn the world, but I came to save it. Aren't you glad about that? That God and Jesus, it's not about condemnation. You bad, evil people. It's not about that. It's about, hey, we already know we've messed up. We go to God because he gets us on the right track. He cleans us up. I went to him, he cleans us up because I didn't have the ability to clean myself. You know, why is it when we have regrets or guilt, we want to run away from God? It's because we have the wrong perspective of who God is. We actually believe that God's in the business of zapping us. Zap! Got him for that. And it's not that way. Jesus was nailed to the cross so that we'd stop nailing ourselves to the cross. He was hung up for our hang-ups. He came to give us forgiveness, to give us a new start, to help us turn our life around. Number three, forgive yourself and focus on the future. That's the hardest step. I've got to forgive myself and focus on the future. Look at Isaiah 43, 18 and 19. The Lord says, do not cling to the events of the past or dwell on what happened long ago. Watch for the new thing I'm going to do. Don't hang on to the past. Don't cling to those things. You've got to let it go. You've got to move forward. I blew it. It was a mistake. But I've got to move forward. The Bible talks about even a righteous man, though he falls seven times, will get up again. And he said, why did it say, though, a righteous man falls seven times? I would think if he was righteous, he would maybe fall once. Why is it seven times? Because the truth of the matter is, nobody stumbles once. Life is pretty long. You stumble in this area, then you get together. And right when you think your life's going in the right path, you stumble over here. Then you get together, and then you make some stupid financial mistake that messes up your life. Then you make some stupid relational mistake that messes up. Why was he considered righteous? Because he got back up. He wasn't considered righteous because he never stumbled. He was considered righteous because he got back up. He would get off track and get back on when he realized it. That's what a righteous person does. So everybody messes up. You can't, you know, people say things like, you can't unscramble an egg. You can make it into an omelet. You can take something like that and make it really good. You know, if, if the world offers you lemons, make lemonade. Don't suck on that lemon. This is all I have. Make, turn it into something good. Allow the things that you've gone through to be used for the good. The Bible has verses that talks about, I'll turn your beauty, I mean, I'll turn what's ashes into beauty. Because what's ashes? That's something that burnt down. So you have something in your life <coughs> that's been destroyed. Ashes are not pretty. And God says, I'm going to take your ashes and turn them to beauty. In other words, God is saying, I don't care how bad that thing is that you did that you think ruined your life. I have the ability to turn it into something beautiful. 
but it doesn't happen automatic. I now have to realize it and submit myself to him. Okay, God. <coughs> There's another place in the Bible where the locusts were coming and eating all their food. And it happened for about three years. And, you know, the, the, the people at the time, they weren't following God. They were rebellious toward God. They didn't care about God. So when the locusts came and, and ruined their crop and their livelihood, they were upset, like, God, why is this happening to me? You know, people get angry at God. The second year it happened, they were worried. The third year, they were, like, on their knees praying to God, help us. We're going to starve. And then God said, I'm going to restore the years that you lost. In other words, the crops are going to be so good these next few years, and you're going to get so wealthy that you can't even, you, it's like you won't even remember it happened. But why did God allow them to suffer that, down, that much? Because what would have happened is the first year they were suffering, they would have like, God, why are you letting this happen to us? And things worked out. They would have forgot about God. See, people forget about God almost always until they hit bottom. You know, like, that's bad. Oh, God worked it out. Oh, good. Then I forget about God. And then something else, oh, I have a trouble. I forget about God. But when you hit bottom and you're desperate and all you have is God and you're seeking him and you're worried for your life and you see God come through, you never forget about God. You never forget about God. I've met people that were just the worst drug addicts that you could imagine, and they, their bottom was a lot lower than mine. But when they finally hit bottom, that was a turning point, and they've never gone back. It took them hitting that low before they could turn it around. And now their life is on the right track, and people would have never believed it. But that's what God does. But then he says, I'm going to restore those years. I'm going to restore those years those years that you lost. So what happens is when he's restoring those years, it's focusing on the future. It's not hanging on to the past. It's not so much where you've been. It's more about where you're going now. Where are you going now with your life? Are you heading in the right direction? Number three in your notes, what God wants to do. God wants to clean your conscience. He wants to clean your mind. He wants to clean your conscience. Look at Isaiah 1.8, come, let's talk this over, says the Lord. No matter how deep the stain of your sins, I can take it out and make you as, as clean as freshly fallen snow. That's what he wants to do. He wants to clean you up. He wants to clear your memory. He wants you to set you free. God is saying, I don't want to rub it in. I want to rub it out. I want to go and turn around and clean it up. I want it to, you to feel so forgiven that you're free again so that the rest of your life can be the best of your life so that you can really focus on the future and not be destroyed by these guilts in your mind, by these regrets, by the shame about things that have happened in the past. And here's what happens. When we don't believe that God forgives us, we start thinking that God's getting even with us. So you feel guilty about something that happened and then your car breaks down and then you think, God's angry at me. Do you know why your car broke down? Because it was probably just needed something fixed. You know? Do you know everybody's car eventually breaks down? So when your car breaks down, it's not God trying to get you. God's trying to punish me. But that's what we do. 
We get into a financial situation where we have to pay more money than what we thought we had on a situation that wasn't our fault, and we think God's mad at me. Well, why is God mad at you? Well, I did this, and he's making me pay for it. People think that way. When you don't feel forgiven, you start in your own mind inventing that God is out to get you through the problems that you go through, even though everybody goes through problems. But in your case, it's God against you, and it's not. It's not. God's not out there doing that. God's not out there like making you pay. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God wants to forgive you. Look at Jeremiah 31, 34. I will remember your sins no more. That's an amazing verse. He chooses to forget it. I can't forget it. He chooses to forget it. I can let it go. I can let it go and move on because I believe I'm forgiven. Maybe you've gone through a divorce or separation or a relationship has ended and you feel some regrets about those things. Give it to God. He forgives. You might say, I was at fault with this and I did this wrong. He forgives. Let me tell you why this is so important. If you made some mistakes and, it, and you feel like it caused the ruin of a relationship, if you hang on to that guilt that regret, that shame, you're going to bring it into the next relationship. Or if you're still in the relationship, if you're going to hang on to that guilt, regret, and shame, you're going to bring it into the relationship you're still into. That's what ruins relationships. You've got to seek forgiveness. You've got to let it go. The only chance to have a good, future, uh, a good relationship in the future is to deal with the things in the past. Get forgiven. Let it go. Put it behind you. Jesus paid the penalty for the sins we did yesterday. He paid the penalty for the sins I'm going to do today, you're going to do today. He paid the penalty for the sins that you're going to do tomorrow. I'm not saying that this is something that you manipulate God with, like, oh, I know this is wrong, but I'm going to do it and ask God to forgive me tomorrow. No, no. Do you think you're smarter than God? Like, oh, I, I pulled a fast one on the creator, yeah. Got him, ha <laughs> ha. Do you think that that's what, how it works? No, that's stupid thinking, right? But here's what God does. He wants to forgive you, but there's a second part with this. Number two in your notes, he wants to change your character. He forgives you, but he also wants to change your character. That's what it's about. It's changing your character. It's like this. God loves you exactly the way you are, 100%. God loves you exactly how you are. But God loves you too much to allow you to stay that way. I have four kids. I have a 19-year-old, a 14-year-old, a girl that's almost four, and a baby a year and a half. I love them all exactly how they are. But if my 19-year-old is acting like a 19-year-old when he's 40, he's going to have a little problem with dad. Do I stop loving him? No. Why would he have a problem with that? Because I love him too much to see a 40-year-old acting like a 19-year-old. I'm going to be talking to him, and I'm going to be like, and I have a 14-year-old, and I love my 14-year-old exactly how he is. But if my 14-year-old is 22 years old and he's acting like a 14-year-old, he's going to have a problem with that. Because dad's going to be in his lifetime of like, what are you doing? Why would I do that? Because I don't care about him? No, because you care about him. You're talking to him like, You'll find out that it doesn't matter how old your kids are. 
if you're their dad or you're their mom, you're still their dad and mom. It's kind of funny, like, I'm 55, and I was with my dad. He's in his 80s. And even now, like, he'll give me advice of things I'm doing. Why is he doing that? I, I could say, well, Dad, I'm 55 years old. That, come on. No, why would somebody in their 80s tell 55-year-old things to help wise them up on things? Because he's had another 30 years more than I've had. Does that make a difference? You bet it does. He does it because he loves me. He's not saying, you're a loser. The only reason you do that to his son or daughter is because you, you, lo- you love him. My four-year-old girl, I love her exactly how she is. But if she's 10 years old and she's acting like a four-year-old, she's going to have problems with dad. There's going to be some discipline involved. Why? Because I love her exactly how she is, but I love her too much to have her stay that way. And I have a baby that's a year and a half, but when he's four years old, if he's acting like a one-and-a-half-year-old baby, he's going to have a problem with dad. I'm going to say, you can't act like that. Why would I discipline him? Why would I do this? Because I love him. Okay. God loves you and he forgives you 100%, but he also loves you too much to let you stay there. It's like, I forgive you. Now, get on the right track. Get on the right track. Don't stay there. Turn your life around. And he wants to support you in that. He wants to help you. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, When someone becomes a Christian, he becomes a brand new person inside. He is not the same anymore. A new life has begun. That day that you put your faith in Christ, it's a new start. My sins have been forgiven. It's not I'm turning over a new leaf. It's a new life. You know, the Bible talks about it's born again. It uses that as an illustration of like a new start on life, a fresh start, a clean slate. That's good news. He, now, that's talking about the moment that you put your faith in Christ. But even after that moment, in real life, you'll be, like I was saying earlier, you'll get off the path. And God says, get back on the path. I'm willing to give you a new start. And then you're doing good and you get off the path. And he says, get back on the path. I, I hope you learn from that. I want to give you a new start. So even as a follower of God that's already made your commitment to Christ, you're still going to constantly get off the path. There's a story in, um, in 1929 in the Rose Bowl. Uh, it was California, Berkeley, UC Berkeley against Georgia Tech. I didn't see it, okay? 19. <laughs> um, but there's a guy named Rory Regals, and it's, a famous, uh, it's one of the most famous plays in football even today. Is, it, this is in the Rose Bowl, the biggest game of the year back then. And then what happens is there's a fumble, and this guy, Rory Regals, picks up the ball. He gets disoriented, and he starts running down the field the wrong direction. In front, and the biggest, most important game of the, of the college season, he's running down that way. And the only people that are chasing him down are his own players trying to tackle him, <laughs> trying to stop him from going farther. Uh, one of the guys, do, that one guy tackles him at the one-yard line. So it's one yard. But that, that was fourth down, by the way. It was in a fourth down play. And they're all the way back there. So now they have to punt. And of all things, the punt gets blocked and the, the other team gets a safety. So they get two points out, out of it. But the... It's right at the end where halftime is, so halftime starts. And, he, and the players on the other team are laughing at him, and they're saying things like, you're the best guy on our team. And uh, the people in the stands are laughing and cheering about it, and, and it's because it's pretty funny. You know? But he's dying a thousand deaths because 
He just feels so much shame. He feels so stupid. He feels like everybody's laughing at him. They go into the locker room. He puts a blanket over his head. And he just starts bawling. He just feels like such an idiot. And the coach didn't know exactly what to do. He was thinking about what to do. So he didn't say very much. He just talked normal, like, let him be. And then at the end of the half, when it's time to get out there, he says the same, same 11 guys that start at the first half, you start in the second half. A lot of those, and back in those years, people would play both sides, you know, offense and defense. But what happened was uh, the same starters are going to start again. And the people went out there, but Roy Regals, he just sat there still upset. And coach went up to him and said, get out there. You're in the game. And he said, I can't go out there. I've humiliated our school. I've humiliated you. I've humiliated myself. And then the coach said, it's only halftime. It's only halftime. Get out there. The game's only halfway over. He actually got out there and played the best game of the, sec- the best second half of his life. Why do you think he played so well that second half? Why of all of his games in football was that second half the best? You know why? It was because of the shame he had before. He felt so much shame about what he did in the past that he decided the future was not going to be like that. And it wasn't. In fact, the future was the best half he ever had in his life. Sometimes what we don't realize is that big mistake that we made, if we allow it to motivate us in the positive instead of the negative, it can be the very thing that makes the rest of your life the best of your life. You can bury yourself and hide in your shame and guilt and regret and live with it forever. Are you going to say, or you can get on your feet and say, what I did was wrong, but that's not going to characterize the rest of my life. And you get out there and make a difference. But it's up to you. It's up to you. You can choose to turn your life around, and it makes a big difference. Because you know why? We all fumble the ball. We all are caught in life running the wrong way. It happens to us all. And God is saying, the game's not over. The game's not over. Don't just sit there and sulk. The game's not over. Get back in the game. Make the rest of your days the best of your days. Go for it. And it's a chance to say, hey, I blew it, but that's not where I'm ending. That's not going to define who I am. I'm choosing to get back on my feet, and I'm going to finish this game, and I'm going to finish well. And everybody here can finish well. doesn't matter what mistakes you've made. You can finish well. God wants you to finish well. God wants to forgive you more than what we have the ability to want forgiveness. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he cares for you. One of the reasons we don't get healing is we rely on human resources, therapy, counselors, books, seminars, tapes, yoga, meditation, all these things that aren't bad. Not all those things are bad. There's some things in there that are, you know, you want to hear some books. There's some good books out there and stuff. But what I'm trying to say is this. The only person that can make you feel healed on the inside, the only person that can forgive you is God. So I've got to put God number one first. Because you're going to carry, if you don't believe that God's forgiven you, you're going to guarantee you're going to carry that guilt. You're going to carry that regret, whatever shame you have. So it starts with God. Seek forgiveness from God. Lord, I'm trusting you to forgive me. And then he will turn your life around. God wants to give you the best future that you can imagine. 
He does. He wants to give you the best future that you can imagine. In life, when you fall off, when you find yourself going the wrong way, turn around. Turn around. The game's not over yet. With that, let's pray. Father, we admit to you that we've done wrong. We ask you to forgive us. We ask you to clear our minds, to change our character, to help us to be the person that you want us to be. Help us to forgive ourselves so that we can let go of the past. Help us to focus on the future, that the rest of our days can be the best of our days. Lord, we thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you that you're a God that gives us a second, a third, a fourth chance. Lord, that you love us and you forgive us. Help us to forgive ourselves. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.